This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, guys. It's Kate here. You are just leaving the house with me because this week for Book Club, we're doing something slightly different. We have got out of our comfy warm studio and we're heading to meet our subject at his house so I'm just off to get in the car and meet Jim and producer Charlie and then we're going to drive down and visit Jamie Redknapp because that is whose autobiography we're going to be discussing this week so pretty excited about this one and I hope you enjoy coming along for the ride. Fowler retrieves possession. Redknapp. Can he get the shot in here? Oh, what a goal by Jamie Redknapp. 25 minutes gone. Magnificent strike by Jamie Redknapp. Welcome to the Book Club with me, Kate Mason. And me, Jim Campbell. The man we've got with us this week is a former England international. He's played at the highest level and was signed by Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool when he was just 17 years old. The most expensive 17-year-old in British football history, in fact. Today, he's a household name, a pundit, and whether he'd define himself as that or not, an entertainer at the top of this profession as well. But the story he wanted to tell was of what he considered the important stuff how he grew up and learned his way, what it meant to earn the right in the lower leagues of English football, and how his family was central to everything he did and is. This week for Book Club, we're reading Me, Family and the Making of a Footballer by Jamie Redknapp. Last night, Bournemouth were hoping to stretch their third division unbeaten run to nine games. Because of medical advice, the manager was only allowed to watch from the grandstand. There was a Redknapp presence on the bench, though, for the home game against Swansea. 17-year-old son Jamie, a player tip for a top first division career, one of the substitutes. Good ball. Trying to wriggle free. Some pretty close attention. That's Redknapp, and it's in! Thunderous strike from Jamie Redknapp out of nothing. Jamie Redknapp's need to be a footballer was so urgent that there are times reading his book where it feels as though all he wanted of childhood was to just keep it efficiently brief so he could be racing out age 16 for his Bournemouth debut against a whole side that unluckily featured Billy Whitehurst, the hardest man in football. Jamie is an impressive guy and a great footballer, but what's so enjoyable about this book is that it breaks down the mechanism of how it felt to become that player. You understand what his focus looks like from his perspective and some of the downsides. In a 90s childhood that is at once very familiar and very unusual, his dad is Harry Redknapp, of course, and there are very few 10-year-olds who can routinely call on George Best for a kickabout. And we've got about a million players that we want to ask you about, of course, Jamie, but we're 
generally just both really excited to be here to talk to you about this book and thanks first of all for having us over. Oh, no, thank you Kate, thanks Jim, it's a real pleasure. I've, it's a nice introduction. Entertainer was a bit, I, I quite like that, I never thought of myself. I might start, put, I might also put that on my passport. <laughs> you know, footballer, stroke, uh, sky pundit, slash entertainer, what do you reckon? Why not? I think, you know, if you say it, people have to... Yeah, I mean, can't argue with it, can you? Really? Oh, stop it. Yeah. You've lived, obviously, a, what looks from the outset and the outside, I guess, a fairly charmed life. Was that part of what you wanted to do in writing this book, to address that and to show what's behind it all? Yeah, I guess so. There was obviously a number of reasons. And when you do, funny enough, now you've said it, and when you sort of think about my life now, so obviously league of their own, etc. and the other little bits and trimmings that will come on from being a footballer and then, uh, and then a pundit, and then people sometimes almost forget that you played. And it, I just almost... Per, for personal reasons as well, just to remind people about what you did as a footballer and what you were and how hard you worked to get there. Because there are no shortcuts. I've said this so many times. You know, I've had a dad that was obviously in, in the industry, but if it was the case that every single young player that's dad played football would be inundated with 100 players playing in the top level whose dad's played. It just doesn't work like that. You have to have a, a, an incredible obsession, which I think the book, you know, shows and I, I, the idea of having different parts, like different segments in the book, say from Frank Lampard talking about his view, or Kenny Dalglish, John Barnes, my best mates from school, or the boys I played with at, at Bournemouth, or you know Don Hutchison. I think that really worked well because I'm not really. If you don't, if people that know me know, I'm not that sort of person that likes to say I was this or I was that. So I felt quite nice for other people to do it rather than me. Mm. I mean, there's a, so many different ways to approach a book, of, of course, especially if you're telling your own story. But one of the things that, that is so different about this book that I find really interesting and enjoyable about it is that it really is about your childhood. Like, the period you're talking about, in a lot of football books, if someone's telling the story of their career, they, that's done in the first two chapters. But you really, really focused in on, on what it was like to, to have that that drive really to get to the top because as you as you say like there are certain preconceptions about someone whose whose dad was was in football mm-hmm. and obviously it's very clear from from the stuff that that Frank Lampard and, and your dad and, and other people say that you actually you were that kid that was out in the garden all the time you were the kid that was like staying behind in training even even when they weren't asked to doing extra runs after training and things like that and it's really fascinating to see that that um, is something that was just apparently inherent in you mm-hmm. and it's it seems like it's almost irrelevant that you're down two years in that sense, in terms of you having what you needed to, to, to get to where you did. And also, I mean, you know, if you've grown up as a football fan in this country, you feel like you know your dad. You yeah, know, so it yeah. does, that gives a real insight into that. As a sort kid, of we did it. He wasn't that guy, you know, he was a very, he was the most famous man in Bournemouth. That wasn't hard. <laughs> So he wasn't that, you know, his big breakthrough, I suppose, happened, I think, 81 when they beat Man United in the Cup. And uh, that was a massive moment, not just for him, but for the whole family. We realised, you know what, my dad is a really talented manager. Was 84, 85? When they beat Man United, obviously Man United were the holders. They Bournemouth beat them in the third round and then they, they won it again out. the following year. So yeah. the only time they'd lost yeah. the FA Cup in three years was losing to Bournemouth. Yeah. But that, And the reason, the, I mean, I never... In terms of doing it from a child, people think, oh, there's, because you want to do another book. Mm. Genuinely, no, it, there was never any interest. And, and that's why I've never done a book before, is the idea of, of the publishers. And I met Tom Fordyce, and he was, a, he was really good, done Peter Crouch's book. So we sort of hit it off. 
And he said, I, you know, because I, I don't want to, I've got no scores to set, or I don't want to slag too many people off in a book. And I, I know some people feel it's their moment where they can put things right. I've never really had to, you know, towards the end of my career, I was unfortunate of injuries, but I, I've never wanted a sob story. I don't mm. want, you know, even though I had injuries, I've been so blessed and so lucky in so many ways in, in terms of what my, my life, my career, and even after my career. So I don't, I didn't want to ever go, oh, I want to do that to talk about this injury and that injury. You know, people, we've all got enough on our plates. Yeah. Although there is a bit, I mean, leaping right to the end, not to get there too soon, but there is a bit at the end where, you know, it finishes, spoiler alert, uh, when you score your first goal for Liverpool mm. and you're talking about, you know, who knows what there is in the future. At that point, you don't know what's coming. And there is a lot of, of struggle with the game and, and many people feel like you didn't probably fulfil your potential. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. You know, and it's, it's a hard one, that, because I was, I was... I think we thought that was a nice way to finish in terms of, of that moment for Liverpool. But, I, I, you know, in terms of... You know, I play for my country. I, I score for... You know, I... I Played for Captain Liverpool, and and you think, yeah, like, and I was so unlucky at 27. My career really, I had an injury that I stopped me playing for a year. I was just made Liverpool captain. I've just said so I can't talk about myself. I'm really talking about myself at the moment. <laughs> doing, a good job, doing a good job right now. Um, but no, it's sort of it's. So I, I I was incredibly unlucky in a lot of ways, you know, and it, it could have been you know, a lot of what's ifs and buts and what if I could have achieved, you know, in terms of England captain, you know, that, but. You can't jog backwards. I had such a great career. I met so many amazing people, and now even to have another career that I'm so, I'm as proud of having another career as I am having my football career because yeah. you ha- you know what it's like yourself. We we have to work hard. There are, it's, you know, it's very easy to put things out there for you and give opportunities, but you've got to take them, and it only comes from hard work and dedication and and trying to set good standards for my kids to see that you know my dad works hard. You know, and I think that's important. Yeah, you do seem to be working a hell of a lot, to be honest, Jamie. Yeah, but I don't mind it. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't. No, actually, I get my time off. I love my golf. I love watching my kids play sport. So I get plenty of time. You know, it's like some people say, "God, you're never off the TV," and I'm like, well, <laughs> "I've actually had a couple of weeks off here, but you know, yeah. that's so be it." It's interesting to me that you say that um, you don't want to settle any scores in the book, and I think that is really, really big of you, particularly when you talk about the time when you were at school and somebody nicked all of your Smurfs. Oh yeah. my God, that's exactly what I was going to bring yeah. up. Yeah, it's I mean, the most crushing. Moment. I don't want to talk about that to be honest. <laughs> but genuinely, I mean, I, I was a collector. I don't know what's the word for a collector. There must be a better word than a collector. But collector, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming you weren't nicking. Yeah, them, that right? wasn't nicking. Them. But <laughs> like Smurfs, Smurf, Star Wars figures, ru- uh, rubbers. Uh, smelly rubbers. That was a thing. Oh yeah, uh, marbles. Yeah. Yeah. Really weird. Genuinely <laughs> was Pokemon Was Pokemon a thing in your general? No, no, that's, that's no like, like my kids actually, they, they, they used to love, but no, I, I was really into collecting things and especially, I don't know, I just like, as, as it says in the book, I, I like my own company, I love my dad's company, it's incredibly close to my mum, I had a brilliant brother that was in, was so kind because he could have been... You know, the complete, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know if it comes across in the book, but I would never have been as kind to him as what he was to me, you know, in terms of how, how he, he, you know, as I, as my career went on, he followed me everywhere. He came to every game, sometimes for the night out as much as the, um, <laughs> as watching me play. But I had a very, I had a very privileged, uh, no, privileged is the wrong word, but I had a very fortunate childhood in terms of, I, I had so much love. Um, I had a mum and dad that were just brilliant. They were exactly what I needed, you know. My dad was quite tough in a way, but never, but always very kind, you know. He just always said the right thing at the right time. 
the, that warmth really comes through, not just from when you're talking about your own family, but when they're, they're talking about you as well. And that's mm. a really sort of lovely, again, that adds to the sort of feel-good factor of it. And I, I, I like the fact that you, you talk about how you look back on yourself as a kid and you even say in the book, like, I was a, I was a bit of a weirdo. Like, some of the stuff in there absolutely fascinates me that you've, that you've, you've pulled out from, from your youth. Um, like the bit where you talk about learning to bite your own toenails off wow. and then that actually coming back to be useful within football, yeah. which is... I'm trying to teach my youngest to do it right now. <laughs> no, but it, I genuinely, I, I was very... Um, double joint is not the word, but I had a really a nice ability that if I could sort of get my leg over my head and stuff like that either way so when I was controlling the ball in the midfield you know the ball comes at you everywhere and it should just be a natural thing for me so this lady called Evelyn came over from Arizona I think Arizona Seattle one of my mum and dad's friends stayed with us for a while and I remember sitting watching her she's starting to eat a toenail I think that's disgusting she's but, old though she's like a grown up yeah she? she's a grown up she's oh, yeah. you know what like 40 yeah try it it's quite therapeutic actually <laughs> <laughs> I can still do it the fighting or the it. stretching no you don't eat it after but no it's just the whole like, <laughs> Actually, I know this one. Oh, come on! I could genuinely. Like, oh my god! Try it if anyone could. This is what you got a camera. But uh, no, I could. Used to be able to get it right over the back of my head, but not my left, unfortunately. So I think yeah. Yeah, I always used to bite my right toenails. Yeah, very straight. Oh, okay. So it's a one-sided thing. Of a bit course. one-sided. Yeah, because I was right-footed. So if you'd done a bit more toenail biting, mm, you might yeah, have. Yeah, um... but. Uh, I probably would have never ended up with a girlfriend, so it's good job I didn't do too much of it. I don't know, some people are impressed by those specific well, skills. I don't know if it's that much of We a don't skill. know if that's... Yeah. But I used it to my advantage, that's the moral of the story. Indeed. But in terms of um, going back through that stuff, like that's quite an odd thing to include, obviously, and there's a couple of stories like that. Was there, was there, were there any things that didn't make it into the book where you think, actually, that's, that's too private, that's yeah. too personal? Because you, you really do get a proper picture of who you were and kind of what your worries were as a kid as well. Yeah, well, Tom, do you know what, when I said these things to Tom, I, I thought, well, that's not going to make it. And he was like, no, that's interesting. He's like, and I'm like, why? What makes it what it is? Because it sort of helped you, helped you become the player you are or how you, you know, became, you know, sort of supple. Whereas now, people do yoga yeah. rather than biting their toenails. You know, it's <laughs> moved on. Like, but, you know, I was trying to start a movement back in those days in the early <laughs> 70s or late 70s, but uh, they, thankfully we've gone to yoga and Pilates. It's got legs, this yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, but it just went... It, 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 what's their thing? Not really. You know, I, I had... You know, really good. My sports teachers were amazing at school. I had a guy called Mr. Simon Jackson, who was so good doing the book. And I loved going back and talking to them. And that was the nicest part of the book. You know, Zooms, with, you know, it was a time... I, we decided to do the book a long, long way before lockdown. But I think lockdown really helped because I... I, people had time mm. so normally you think I don't want to drive anyone mad but like Ian Bishop was in the US uh, who used to be you know, one of my favourite players and I was at Bournemouth with him so we could, I had the ability Kate to sort of go you know, do you know what Bish what are you doing let's do a Zoom and we, next thing I'm sitting there we're talking about the good old days of football so there were so many different aspects of it that I could use to my advantage and, it, and then you get to a point where the, the book wasn't rushed because of it it just felt more natural and, and you know, it was, it was a nice way to do it. It might be time, actually, to bring in Tom Fordyce, because we spoke to him before um, talking to you. He's a guy you've kind of known on and off through football for, for a few years, really. And um, we asked him about how you guys went about telling the story and what he wanted the book to show people. So there's sides of Jamie that people don't know about, I don't think. And when they read the book, I think they'll be surprised because they know him 
if you're a certain generation, you remember him as a really creative midfielder at Liverpool and for England. And if you're a bit younger, you might know him as his fantastic pundit, very polished. But what you might not know about him is how determined he was, how obsessed he was with his football. And also that he's got this sort of gentle, softer side to him. And when you read the bits when he's coming through and he's 14, 15, and it was really tough in football at that time in terms of, I won't call it banter because I think it was worse than that, but in terms of how the older players treated the younger players, how tough he had to be, the physical side of it, how brutal it was when you were a creative midfielder in the, coming through in the early 90s. So we wanted to tell that side of the story as well. And it's funny, Kate, like the relationship you, you have with someone when you're writing a book with them is really intense because you're talking about all this stuff that they might not have thought about for a long time. And you're talking about all this stuff that's formed them and all this stuff that's really important to them. Um, so you generally feel quite warm towards the person when you finished it. But with Jamie, it was just, it was such fun and pleasure all the way through. And when you feel that you've done a good job in the book and you read little bits back to each other. So I would read bits to Jamie as I wrote it. And there were bits that where we were just really quite emotional when he's talking about his relationship with his dad and what Harry had said to me about Jamie. Um, it was quite intense at times. So that's Tom mm. looking back at the project. Would you agree with what he's saying? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And I think it was, yeah, there were so many nice aspects. Tom worked hard, you know, really hard. He, he's a, he was brilliant at doing this because I, I think people that know me, I've got my passions for certain things and, and I can be a little bit, what's the word? Uh, that I, if, I, if, if, an, if a subject doesn't interest me, I drift off. You know, I, I, that, I've got that, you know, if I love something, like football was my thing. So I never once drifted off. And, you know, I, I worked harder than anybody on the training field. And I look back, I think that might be why I got injured a lot. Because I, nobody ever stayed out there longer than I did at Bournemouth or at Liverpool. Because I wanted to be the best I could be. And that probably, looking back, I'd have, I'd have been dragged in now. Whereas if someone dragged me in when I was 18, I thought, you're stopping, you're I, might, I, was, I was with the opinion, you're trying to stop me doing what I want to do. Mm. Whereas I think now we'd understand, that understood, understood me a little bit more mm. and said, no, Jamie, you need a rest now. <laughs> but I, I still look back and well, that's how I was. And you can't, and I'm very obsessive on things. If I love something, I, I find it hard to, to switch off and get away from it. Can you tell us a bit more about that obsessive trait? Because... It's lovely the way it's expressed in the book about how you organise everything for match day when you're a kid and you're, mm. you're pulling your socks up high. You want everything to be smart and organised and I, I guess maybe you're still like that today. Mm. People probably today would say that's OCD or, yeah, or, yeah, would, would. or would try and maybe help you Mm. not rely on that as, as an emotional crutch. What do you think about that, looking back? I, I, I'm very much like my mum. You know, my mum's very... She likes things organised. She... Like, my everyone thinks, oh, you must be like your dad. She played football. My dad's chaotic, you know. He's chaos. I'm not. I, don't, I, like, th I like calm. I don't like too many... You know, I like to have fun and I'm, I'm as outgoing and I'll go out with my mates and have the, you know, as, as good as, but I, I like calm in my life, you know, and that's exactly like my mum. You know, she has to go to the gym every, you know, every day. She's very, likes to eat the same things. I'm a creature, I'm a cancer and I'm a creature of habit. I don't like that much change in my life. So I think that probably is a really, that summed me up, you know, and, and that's why, you know, football was the perfect storm for me. I obviously had a bit of talent. I loved it. I wanted to get better. I had, you know, had a great dad. But as I say, a lot of the traits that I've got have come more from my mum than my dad, I'd say. Mm. 
you know, we were, we were, you know, we were incredibly close. But Mark is my brother is more like my dad than I am. But I, but there are obviously elements of my dad in me. But people see, I look at something, I watch my dad on TV. I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm turning into him. <laughs> but it's uh, the mannerisms are more. My mum is, she's very uh, obsessive, right. very, and I'm, I'm the same. You know, in terms of food and all sorts of things, really. So it's, it's a coping strategy because I guess in football things are there are a lot of things beyond your control. You know, mm. you go and play a game. You, you're in a different environment if you're playing an away game, for example. It's an attempt to kind of impose control on the world, would you say? Yeah, I suppose so. But I, I, I think I used to find it, you know, easy to... You know, that was my way of switching off almost football, being on the training field and training and practising. You know, I never got bored of it. It's so busy. I never thought to myself, it must have been time. I never once on the training thought, oh, I've had enough now. I just used to love it, loved it. And even now, I think I've said this before, every night without fail, I dream about football. There is not a night that goes by without there's some, I'm scoring, I'm taking a penalty, there's a football theme to my night. I and it's so, it's that, so I don't know why, I'm sure someone could analyse that and say, yeah, you are nuts. But, <laughs> but <laughs> well, there's not saying you're nuts. I mean, no, but, it's, but I don't, I just, that's just my life. And it's been, and by the way, football has been so kind to me, so I'm not going to apologise for it. You know, it's brought me so many great things in my life. But it might in another situation, you know, this, yeah. this obsessiveness. Yeah, maybe. You know, this is venerated in our society, right? You've come to be a top, top football, footballer who doesn't want to be that. But, yeah. but equally, like... That is quite an unusual way to yeah. be. You're, you're right. Mate, I, know, I don't know. Like I've spoken to you know, some footballers and maybe maybe they were like that as kids. But it's, it was something that I've never... You know, I've had you know, players love to talk about, oh, I was OCD and I didn't make this big thing. I just never really... Until I, and even writing the book, I didn't think about it. I didn't think, oh, you're, you're... But then it's only when you come out and you go, yeah, I get it. I was that... Yeah, I was a bit like that. It was just nothing. I, I just didn't want to talk about it in interviews because I just didn't think it was that relevant. But then, but I also think one of the reasons why I did it was, you know, I, I don't know if it is if it, if you're a young footballer. I, I when people always say to me, oh, "What's the one? Give me some advice," mm. you know, and you, and you, and you rack your brains with wanting to get, you know, because everyone thinks they're a football scientist now. Everyone thinks they know the old tactics and this, that, and the other. But what makes a footballer? And I thought, you know what, it's hard work. There are, you know, you want to become a, a guitarist. You know, I talked to a kid today and he wants to be a guitarist. I said, how much you practice? Yeah, I practice a bit. And I want to say to him, hmm, unlucky. He's yeah. making it. Yeah. You've got to practice and practice. You've got to go out in the garden when it's dark, when it's raining, when everyone else has gone home. If you want it, you've got to go and get it. There are no shortcuts you can't get, you know, whatever, whatever it is, unless you are... I don't know. I can't. Even, I can only imagine Messi and our people. I've heard stories about Ronaldo that how obsessed they were, and to get to whatever level you want to get with your ability, because obviously there are Messi's, Maradona's, Ronaldo's, these players that are just touched by God. You know, there are others that you know you have had to work for it. And I've, and I've seen even young Frank. Frank Lampard works so hard, so hard. His dad was the most incredible work ethic. You know, and, and my dad probably didn't have that work ethic at times when he was a player. Everyone talks about it. He was so talented, my dad, but he would always want to be getting a bit of trouble. He probably didn't do enough. And maybe he looked back and probably thought, and I think that's why he was so adamant that I wasn't like that. Mm. You know, he didn't want me to fall into the traps or make the mistakes that he did. It's interesting that you talk about how that, that, that just came naturally to you and you didn't really think about it. Because I remember hearing stories about David Beckham staying behind at every training session Johnny doing free kicks and session. players like that as well. Um, Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer being the sort of kids where they'd score like 100 goals in a season when they were playing. And they're all the same. They don't, 
like for, for a lot of people, for, for like if I want to get in shape, for example, I really have to make myself do it. You know, it's yeah. a real sort of struggle to like Jim has find a thing. In shape, by the way, yeah. Good, Jim, looking great. Cheers, yeah. mate. Cheers. It's not where I expected it to go, but oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, but in, for most people, I think if, if they if they have a goal they want to set, it is hard to reach it. But I get the impression from the way you were talking about the way you would stay out in the garden and not notice it was getting dark, and you know, even staying behind at Liverpool and it not being the done thing there, that it wasn't. It, it wasn't you saying to myself, I'm going to work as hard as I can. It was just you doing what felt normal without yeah. even having to G yourself up. Just yeah. something innate that was, you're not getting bored of football effectively. Yeah, and, and like you know, like I said, at the, I think before we were, set, we were talking about it, I didn't find, like with school work, I hated school. So you could have spent me all day, you could have learned, you could have given me maths or something. I had no interest. Just mm. didn't, but if something interested me, you know, I was into it and that was it. And football was that thing. You know, and I just loved every every aspect of it. I love watching games. I love talking about, you know, watching football, talking about players. Even now, it's still that obsession. And and as I say, I never felt like when I'm in my career, I want to talk about my obsessions or anything like that. Because it's like, yeah, you know, we're all, most footballers are probably the same. You know, David Beckham talks about it. I bet he's no different to anybody else that, you know, that we play with. We're all a little, you know, we all have that little sort of the idiosyncrasies that we want to get out and make, you know, and... And they were always fighting something, but it, it's it's your way of dealing with it, like you say, a defence mechanism. Mm. So I guess sometimes you almost had to become a pundit, right? Because yeah, otherwise, well, I mean, I guess going into management, or management. Or coaching, or that sort of thing, it seems like it would have been such a big loss yeah. to you if you hadn't been able to have these conversations. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, when with the football, with the terms of when I retired, which is the hardest thing, I retired at 31 years of age, I knew I was like playing with pain, that it was like someone was sticking a knife in my knee every time I went onto a football field and that wasn't, that was the only time I sort of, I, 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 I relief that I couldn't play football anymore because I knew that this was just going the wrong way. I was going to need a knee replacement. I was told by Dr. Stedman in America, he said, look, if you carry on, you're going to need a knee replacement in about one or two years. He said, and I can't actually, unless I can give you a new knee, you have to stop, which is fine. I almost needed to hear that because I would have carried on. I would have carried on with pain because I, I, kept, I wanted to play. Um, so I, I, I guess to a certain extent, that gave me some closure on the game. And when I retired, I think, well, what else can I do? Management. I never want to be a manager as a player. I want to be a footballer. Mm. You know, whereas some, like Frank's done it and Steven Gerrard's doing a great job. You know, everyone said that my dad, you know, the amount of people, and I'm talking about the great Bobby Moore to the Jeff Hurst, that have said, tell you what, Joe, you ne- honestly, we never thought your dad would be a manager. <laughs> He's a lot in that dressing room. He was always the one causing trouble. We'd always have a bet or misbehaving. We never thought that he would, and he goes on to manage a thousand games. So yeah. as I say, never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I find really uh, intriguing to read is how there's a point in the book where you're you're kind of you're ahead of your time a little bit in terms of age because your your ability is is better than that of kids your age so you're starting to sort of get noticed starting to play with adults and you seem to accept really really early on you've sort of crossed a threshold now where you're playing with men and they're going to beat you up basically <laughs> yeah. but you're sort of fine with it that I think that's one of the things that's really interesting to to understand about that period in not only just a young footballer's life, but perhaps how football was in the sort of in the eighties as well. I mean, mm. I, I didn't realise you'd played with Tony Pulis, for example, yeah. and and sort of how Tony the Cone. Yeah, he's yeah, a Tony the Cone. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, can we talk about that for a little while as well? Because I think we all know that you know football is hard and it's a tough sport, but 
it almost sounds like you were stepping into a ring more than a pitch in some occasions, particularly because you were young and the, it seemed like the older players would target you just to sort of like put one on you and see what you were made of. Yeah, I think that was probably every... No, it wasn't just me. You know, I was a young kid, six, I had long hair. You know, what people, is this thing about long hair, Jamie? No, because normally footballers did... No, because it? I think it was a bit... Oh, I mean, in the, in yeah, the 80s, like a, that would mark you yeah, out, wouldn't it? Yeah, a little bit. And I think that in football... You, like yeah, people say oh, you're a pretty boy or whatever, you know. And they're like, I'm not making. I, I just what they say. They go, oh, they'd want to kick you or something like that. And it was a bit, you know. But I think having someone like Tony Pulis was such a, like, it was great for me. He was, he, he was, he was like having a minder on the pitch yeah. because Tony was. People probably don't realise it, but he was just one of the toughest players you've ever met. Nothing to, no, no. He's, Tony's probably five eight, five nine, maybe a bit more, but he has got. You know the devil in him. Trust me. <laughs> when it comes to making tackles, yeah. I would be like, "Oh my god!" So no one would ever really mess with me because they knew if they messed with me, they'd mess with Tony. You know, and I'm playing at 16. So my, t- I think when I think back of it, I've got a 16 year old, and he, he, Charlie's 16, great boy. You know, he loves his rugby. But I almost feel like I didn't have teenage years. It almost feels like when people say, "What were you like as a teenager?" And I'm like, I don't know because I went. I was up at Tottenham. The next thing at 16, I'm now playing with, in the first team at Bournemouth. So that was my. It was there was no at the time to sort of think about popping spots or you know what you read in Adrian Mole or whatever it was at the time. So it was yeah. I did have those teenage years, but when you're a young lad at 16 and you're just you're at the track, you get there at eight and you're finished at half past five. You just want to make the day go, you know, have fun. And it was like the greatest time. I was on £27.50 a week. I felt like a millionaire. I had, like, was living down in Bournemouth. We'd go to the beach when, in the summer and play football. Once we'd finished, if, if John Kirk, who was the was, he was captain, uh, he would let us off early. and We'd go and keep the ball up on the beach thinking we were like the main men in the world, you know? And it was just like the best time of your life. Yeah. All right. And then at Liverpool, there's this quite sad moment where you turn up on the team bus for the first time. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, no, sorry, there's no space next to me. Oh, there's a boot by next to me. And John Barnes, in the end, I think it is, who says, all right, you can come and sit next yeah. to me, youngster. Exactly. Well, that's, you, that's sort of pushing you a bit, is it? Or yeah, is I know, I loved it. It's fun. It's like, I don't, if you take that seriously, I don't know if you could do it to players now, but in terms of, I was so fortunate. I've, I've been in a dressing room with, since I was 11, listening to my dad giving team talks, hearing swear words, hearing people talking about, you know, you know, relationships or drinking, whatever. I'd heard, there's nothing I hadn't heard or been accustomed to. And sometimes at a lower level, yeah. because it's a bit more raw, because in terms of players haven't got the money or whatever. So I was used to it. But I went to Liverpool, it was my first day. I'm obviously incredibly nervous. I'm in the away team dressing room, the first team dressing room. We, and in those days, used to get on a bus and go to Melwood training ground. And then once training finished, you jump back on this sweaty, smelly bus where everyone had been running and training hard and then go back to Anfield and shower in the dressing rooms. So first day, I am, as I say it now, I can actually feel like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's the most nervous probably I've ever been because I know in about a minute's time, I'm waiting for something, I'm going to be walking alongside my heroes like Ronnie, you know, Ronnie Whelan, Steve McMahon, John Barnes, Alan Hansen, Steve Nicol, heroes, you know, the managers, Kelly Dalgleish. And Ronnie Moran, who was the manager, was a, oh, sorry, was the coach, a great guy, older guy. I really liked him. He sort of shouted, like, quite fear. At the time, I was very scared of him. As I got to know him, I understood how, you know, how important he was for my career. He shouted, away the new, which in, in a Scottish sort of accent, which meant, here we go. It's like, here we go. So everyone then gets up, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going somewhere. So you sort of walk into this, up, back up the tunnel, so the old tunnel at Anfield, um, 
a dressing room sort of go back as if you're going to get back onto the bus and start again so as we get onto this rickety old bus I'm, I, the first team always go first and the reserves and the U-team sort of follow on or, or reserves and uh, so I go to sit down and then I think someone said oh, John you know, Ronnie Wheeler said he can't sit there that's uh, Alan Hansen's seat so I go, okay no problem so I move to another seat oh, that's Steve can't sit there that's Steve Nichols seat I can't sit there Bruce, Bruce Grobler's seat and now they're roaring and I'm now thinking to myself I just want the world to swallow me up. <laughs> but it's got to end soon because there's got to be a seat. And then John Barnes went, wait, come here, son. So he, John sat next to me and just, you know, they always say never meet your heroes because they never, they're always disappoint you. And John was just amazing to me. And still is. Spoke to him today, actually. We had a great discussion about everything, life and work, the world. He's just a very good man. And I'll never forget that day because he was so... I have pictures of John Barnes on my wall in his little tiny shorts, and now I'm sitting next to him talking about football. It was quite bizarre. It must have been. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it was a real like baptism of fire like in, in every sense of the word, particularly when you when you are in the youth team and you talk a lot about Phil Thompson being, being on you a lot, and you thinking yeah. he was victimising you, but obviously that meant he really saw something in you, and he's just trying to test you and bring it out of you. Do you think, do you think football is like that now? Because it does... Reading the book, it seems like it was a bit of a cauldron and it would you, you can't help but put yourself in your shoes as a young man and feel like it would have been tough, especially being away from home and staying, staying in digs as well. I, I can't imagine many youth players do that now, yeah. but if it still works that way. Like, do, you, do you think, I mean, do you think or do you know if, if teams, if youth teams are still set up in that same way? Because it does sound brutal. Mm. I, I, I don't think it's... The, the one thing I will say, maybe... I was going from Bournemouth to Liverpool. I spoke the same language. There's kids now coming from all around the world yeah. to go to Liverpool to May 9. That must be really hard. So I can't, you know, I don't think it would have been as hard as some kids in terms of what you had to deal with. But what was difficult, it was a different time, a different generation, a different era in terms of how people were treated. It was a big, it was a hierarchy thing. This young kid comes down from Bournemouth. I've got to try and make, I've got to try and find myself into the reserve, into the reserve team and the first team. Some people liked you, some didn't. Some people thought, oh, who's this Flash Cockney? I got it, no problem, mm. I can deal with that, and I had to. And you have to sort of stand up for yourself. You know, some people would have a little bit of a tear up with you and try and kick you. I had a manager that was, I, like, I get on great with Tomo now, but I, he was tough, he was hard at times, you know, and I, I used to think, you don't like me because I'm from London. You know, there was, there, you know, all the things I wasn't playing well, and mm. I suffered with my form a little bit. I was 17, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have that, that sort of, um, What's the word? You know, when you have a, uh, you know, you, you've always got a comfort blanket of your mum and dad. Yeah. You know, and there were times when Tomo wouldn't let me go home and I needed to get home. I needed to get home. And that's what probably would have happened now. They'd have been like, you need some time away, you yeah, know, go yeah. and see the family. But that wasn't the era. It doesn't make it right or wrong, which is the way it was. But it does maybe make it a bit wrong because if you think about it, they fought you, you know, in mm. football. They're trying to, the idea is for, is to have the best football team you can, as mm. I understand it, on a very basic level. Um, you're homesick, you're not being looked, apart from an occasional like friendly word from John Barnes, you're not being looked after that well. There's mm. no kind of, you know, it's very much sink or swim and all of this stuff. And I know, obviously, you're a product of this and us looking at it, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, like seeing it from a slightly different perspective. Yeah. It still just doesn't seem the most logical way to go about it. No, to it, bring but, a poor yeah. little kid up from London and then no, no. pop him in a frozen room in, in on, where was it, Anfield Road. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, you're not allowed to go home. No, you're right, Kate. <laughs> but that's probably because I wasn't that poor little kid that I could handle it. Right. So I had to, you know, because I knew what I had to do, you know. And there were times when I look back and probably doing the book, I didn't realise, you know, that I was 
it must have been so much tougher and braver than I ever thought I was, mm. because I had to withstand, you know, the critic, you know, the, the 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 hard side to it. But that's not just me. That's every player. Don Hutchinson with my mate. Don used to work. We used to go back to our dig sites thinking, oh, we can't, can we handle this? And then you know we managed to get into the first team. So there are. There are so many sides to it, but, you know, and I think Phil's explanation would be, it's like, well, if you can't handle me giving you a bit of stick, how are you going to handle 40,000 people giving you a stick? Mm. So I, I get that, you know, and I, I never, you know, it wouldn't have been how I would have probably gone about it, but that was the way Liverpool did it. They were the best, they had the best players, and it was tough love, you know, and I, and, and I just thought, okay, I can handle this, and I'll make sure that I, I dig in, and don't get me wrong, like everybody, when we all have our doubts, whether we could good enough, I, I had my doubts, I had my moments, I thought, I, I can't do it, but then I knew I had to do it, I had to do it, because I couldn't go back to, to Bournemouth or wherever it was and be a failure, it just wasn't in me, I, I just couldn't, I never for one second... I didn't do everything I could, you know. To you know, I don't. I, I'm sort of contradicting myself here, but well, I, I thought, I, you know, I had my doubts. There was nothing that was going to stop me. You know, I, I thought I'm going to make my dad proud, and you know, that was good. All right, Jamie, we're going to get to a quick break now. We're going to shout a whole load of these at you so that you perform really well in the second half. Okay. <laughs> Read that. He's got an opportunity too, and he lets one go, and he's gone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a very Clash of the Titles Christmas because we're doing what every family does at this time of year, arguing about which film is better. We've proof this pod is good for your elf as Elf takes on Santa Claus the movie. With Santa Claus the movie, for years I couldn't walk past a slice of ham. (laughs) 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 Reaching for it like a grubby... Street uh, urchin. We're doing that festive thing of overindulging in sweet stuff. It's the holiday versus love, actually. I've never seen women apologise so much for being women as in the holiday. And yes, they are Christmas movies. We've got Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon. I'm so bored of that question, so let's flip it. Is Christmas a Die Hard movie? (laughs) (laughs) That's Clash of the Titles this December. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Clash of the Titles is a Stakhanov production. Merry Christmas. Look at this. (laughs) Still got it, Jamie. (laughs) That's terrific. Welcome back to the book club with me, Kate Mason and Jim Campbell and today with us, Jamie Redknapp as well. Uh, Jamie, we talked a fair bit about, I guess, you having lumps torn out of you in various stages of your career. We've heard a little bit about your um, perhaps being surprisingly uncool at school. Um, It'd be nice to hear a bit more about life at home now, I think. Um, We have mentioned the 
the affection that comes out through these pages from from the whole of your family and the quite superhuman way that your brother Mark doesn't seem to have jealousy for mm. you. Not an ounce. Really weird. What do you put that down to? He's just a nice boy, you know. He's just a great guy, lovely man. Just never had, you know, he loved his football. So it wasn't a case of it wasn't his passion. He wanted to be a footballer too, but just... And Mark will admit it himself, he says it in the book, just not as much as I did. We had similar upbringings, he had a good... Mark had all the attributes, he was quick, um, good on the ball. But I, I would, he would play football in the garden and he'd go in. I didn't used to go in and I think that's probably what the difference was. Um, and he, you know, he was great for me because he would test me. He was three years older than me and quick and strong so... We'd go one-on-one in the garden for ages and, and just practice and try to get you know, perfect our skills. But as I say, he just didn't quite have that, maybe that love for the game. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was an apprentice at Bournemouth and he got he broke his ankle really badly and, and then they did a, the operation didn't go too well. But he was a, you know, just a really good, like, funny, everyone loved my brother. Everyone knows Mark, you know, he's one of those sort of guys and was so sociable as well. Whereas I wasn't quite sociable when I was a kid. And I, and, I, and I think that's what makes Mark the person that he is and perhaps makes me, you know, how, how I am as well. But I was very fortunate to have a brother that say to have no jealousy, to never, you mm. know, and always, you know, just so proud. He was like amazing. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't ask for more, really. Mm. And that love in your, I mean, people outside of the Redknapp family um, have seen your dad, because your dad won I'm a Celebrity, right? Mm. And there was this incredible video of your parents meeting up again oh, um, no, in the, in the oh my yeah, goodness me and it just seems you know that's the sort of thing people love to yeah. see isn't it that that love endures over that yeah. length of a marriage it must have yeah. been kind of amazing being around a relationship like yeah. that well, no because my dad never really he's not um he's not no never I mean, he, he adored my mum like you couldn't but he never was he's not really he's not the sort of person that would like, start cuddling her or showing her moments of affection in public ซึ่งเป็นแบบวิดีโออ่ะใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใช่ใ
she's not that good at football either, trust me. <laughs> she probably would have missed it. <laughs> I don't mean but to stay no. on the kind of emotional, slight emotional roller coaster, but there is a bit in the book that kind of shows the, I think what's beautiful about it is it talks about this love that your family has and it's this this moment at Italy, Italia 90 in the mm. World Cup when your dad is, um, well, you find yourself to be watching the final at, at at the World Cup as a result of the fact that you, your dad was out there to watch all the games and he got very seriously injured in a, in a car accident that, that killed one of his friends. It's a really uh, tough read at that moment, partly mm. because of this, your mum experiencing the realisation that, well, they haven't spoken that day and they, they always speak and they yeah. need to speak and you then go out to see your dad um, and it just seems like you're all just kind of breaking down and trying to hold it together. Yeah, but in a way, it was, it was so weird, Kate, because I remember when, obviously I remember it happening, like it was yesterday, it was, a, it, was England, uh, it was Italy, Ireland in the World Cup, and mum was babysitting up the road, and, and it, was, it, was a fucking, it was thunder and lightning that night, and my mum, she's definitely got some, um, you know, in some, she, she's got... She, she like can, intuition. Yeah, intuition, she's yeah. got this, something's not right. Oh, Mum, it's fine. She'd be, you know, and didn't hit. She, Dad always calls because they always speak, no matter what. They could be, you know, there was no mobile phones in those days. She said, "No, something's not right." Anyway, worked the next morning. We woke up and I got a phone call really early from um, the Bournemouth chairman, and he called and said, "Look, you know, Harry's okay." Mum was, and then he said, "But Brian's dead," and Brian was Dad's best friend, you know. And so I'm thinking, you can imagine my mum. She's just that's her life, you know. So it was so difficult, and um, he, we didn't know to what extent how he was. We didn't know, you know, when someone says he's okay, what does okay mean? You know, dad, and the amazing thing was Brian and dad normally, dad's a, they're on a minivan, they're going to a game, three Italian guys that would, would celebrate in Italy beating Ireland, they died. And my dad normally would, would sort of sit on the inside of the, of the minivan, but because he'd been talking to some, some Irish fans outside this Italian restaurant, they swapped seats and the crash, like the, 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 the impact hit Brian and, you know, obviously killed him. So it was an awful time and it was so bad. And, you know, there's almost that feeling of like, you know, when I speak about it in the book, a part of me is upset because when I re read it back and read it back, because I wanted, I wanted to show the respect to Brian as well. And, mm. you know, and, and I didn't want it to think, oh, well, I'm my dad's alive, it's okay. No, because someone had lost their life, you know, and it was an incredibly difficult time because of, um, you know, just didn't know how, how my dad was gonna be. And, and th thankfully, he was okay. He had a lot of scars and a lot of, you know, wounds from it, but he, he was tough. And he was, as I say, that old school, he was back at work about five, six months later when he never should have gone back, you know, mm. he was, but he did it, you know, he, he did. And I think he wanted to get back out there because as he knew that was his, that's his sort of, I suppose, his sanctuary, you know, football, and he knew that he could handle the situation. He had, he had you know, he had, he'd, he'd, he'd fractured his skull, he'd broken both legs. You know, he was a right mess. And obviously, when I went to see him in hospital, I, I, I like a, you know, I fainted like an idiot. So it wasn't very <laughs> cool to me. Even I think I'm, I think that probably moped. Well, I've got to start looking after the family now. Yeah. Would you? Why did you go out? Why was it the two of you that went out? Because we, we didn't. That really, we were so protective of my mum. We sort of said, no, you can't, you know, because we didn't know, but that was in a coma. So we didn't know what he was doing and what and where we got to, we didn't know what hospital. So we, what, the Bournemouth chairman came out of us and we were, Mark, Mark, so Mark was about 18 at the time. I think I was 15, 16. 
I need to say, look, mum, we're going to go out there. Because we didn't, I didn't want my mum, I don't know why, really. I look back now, like my dad was really upset with us because he wanted like mum to come out there. But we sort of said, look, mum, you stay here, you look after the house and make sure everything's okay and we'll bring dad home. You know, it's one of those. Mm. But looking back now, it was probably, you know, I think mum was really, she didn't know what to do. And we just felt the best thing to do. We always protected her. My mum can't drive, you know what I mean? She can't ride a bike. So we've always helped, we've always sort of kept her, held her back in a way, I suppose. <laughs> You're looking, thinking, this is weird. But no, genuinely, you know, she was so, she was our pride and joy. She had three boys and we were like, no mum, we'll, we'll do it. And anyway, when we got to see him, he was okay, and then we, you know, when he, we, they, the Bournemouth were great, the club and everything, and they flew him back, when, only when the time was right, because he had to come back at low altitude, because he had, a, obviously, the fracture on his skull. Mm. I, I can imagine, well, I can't imagine, I suppose that's the point, because you, you say at the time, no mobile phones, like, even finding that hospital at that time must have been mm. such a stressful thing in, it, in itself, when you've got all this, all this other stuff going on, I can sort of understand why you might want to protect your mum from what one of those outcomes might be because you don't know at that time do you if you all you know is that your dad's in a coma that's such a sort of abstract mystery at that point like, mm. i can completely see why when, and when his best mates died yeah you know i didn't want my mum to see my dad in a mess i don't know mark mark to be honest took the lead he was you know older and more experienced than me and i just said to mark i'll come with you and you know we'll just do it together and it was really weird uh weird's the wrong word it was really tough it was really difficult but you know as i say and and, and to see because of my closeness to my dad, that was the hardest bit for me. Mm. That's what I thought. Mm. Is it, I think that's what, you know, it's a, it's a painful bit to read, but it's about showing all the relationships and how they're fitted together, mm. I think. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. We have, a, we have a really unusual relationship, my dad and I. Really, you know, really close. Apart from when he gives me bad tips at horses, we are best mates in the world. <laughs> which is <laughs> Which works. is quite <laughs> As, yeah, as we're doing that, I just had a message to say that he had a winner tonight that he, I didn't back, which is, yeah, always the way, isn't it? <laughs> you always remember those ones, yeah. don't you? Like, oh yeah, always win. Um, ha- and that's because you can talk so easily about your obsessions. Yeah, but no, but that's not really, a t- you know, he wasn't a talker, he wasn't that, you know, we... We talk about football a lot, but he, he, he wasn't sort of, you know, one, he, 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 yeah, you know, you got to get on with it. You got to get on with it. You know, that was his, that was his, that was his style. That was, you know, when you're up there, and if I rang him up, said, "Dad, I want to come home." No, no, you got to get on with it. You got, and he's right. I had to get on with it. That was it. If I'd have come home and shown weakness, that was that was what you couldn't do. And I think that's why I had a mum that she was the softness. She was the one that I could speak to and 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 throw things at and say, "Look, mum, I'm rich." She said, "You know." And, you, you, I had that softness, and I, and I was so fortunate because you know I'm, I'm so many kids now. There's, they don't have a, maybe the loving parents or whatever. I, I was, I was very fortunate in that way. And but, as I said, my mum was the person that I'd always, if I had real problems at school or football, and I'm going to lie, I'm you know 47 years of age. I still speak to my mum every day. You know, and I just want to make sure she's all right. And you know, that's a, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. And I think I'm so lucky to have that relationship. You can really sense that that has actually come into your own personality as well that sense of um almost a protectiveness of those that you, you see around you there's a bit in the book where you talk about playing against a teenage Wayne Rooney for was it we you, you would have played for Spurs my debut yeah. for Tottenham his debut yeah. for Everton yeah. and you're talking him through the game you're encouraging him encouraging an opponent through the game because you see a 16 year old kid who's in, in shoes you've been in yourself and yeah. that that's unusual right that's just Jamie Redknapp lovely man rather than no, no, normal no, football no, behaviour no, 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 like 
if I'd have gone in for tackle Wayne Rooney and he's trying to cut, you know, and he's trying to kick because he was a tough kid, I'd, I'll, I'll kick him and he'll kick yeah. me. I've no problem with that. But you know, I've just always been that. And oh, I love football. I love footballers. So when, when Wayne Rooney like would do a little bit of skill, or amazing. I go, oh, God, I love that pass. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, and I had that when I was a kid. I just never really, I just always respected and and. and I love good footballers, you know, mm. and I'm still now, I meet a footballer, I still feel that little, I'm a fan, you know, I love to see people that do things well. So I didn't really, you know, and I remember it with Wayne, and I remember looking at him in the, in the, in the, um, in the tunnel at Goodison, I was giving him a little wink, I said, good luck, mate, it's going to be a special day for you, and it's all, that's what I went through, and I know how it feels. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've got to be, a, you know, be a dick. Have you? Can we, can we say dick on this? You can say, you can actually say really rude words oh, if you want to. The more you swear, the better. Really, yeah, for us, exactly. Jamie, just I, 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 you, but there's no point. You know, it's like, <laughs> I wasn't trying it. I knew he could play. You know, and it was. A, I, I'd heard so much about him, and that was just the way I'd been brought up as well. You know, to have respect for people, and but only if they have it back back to you as well. I'm, I'm also well aware that you know you've got to stand your ground. That thing about you being a fan is probably why people identify with you. We were talking about yeah. it with in terms of Maradona recently of course mm. passing away and we were saying about how that's one of the things that people identify with that he f- felt as though he experienced football like a fan yeah. as well as like a god yeah. um, and I think people don't actually especially maybe today don't see that necessarily in top footballers mm. so they really appreciate it when yeah. they do see a bit of themselves in someone who's made it yeah yeah I suppose so Kate I think that you know obviously I just, it's just been in me, you know, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we asked you about the book, it's sort of, I didn't need to address it, but I, you know, people sometimes, oh, you know, he likes his golf or he likes it, and I'm, I'm like, don't, no one knows or has been around football more than I have, you know, mm. since I was born, it was like my dad's a manager, uncles, it's just, you know, it's just been surrounded by it. And I, and I think people sometimes maybe misunderstand that. And, you, and it was just a little bit of a, not just a reminder to them, a reminder to myself of, what, of how much football means to me. And I never want that to, to sort of go, up, to go unnoticed. You know, my kid, my, I found out I was upstairs a minute ago, and this is not a plug for the book, but I, he, had, he was just doing some football in the garden with him. And, um, and he's got the book in his bag. And I, I thought, oh, that's so nice. And I said, I, you know, we often, he reads little bits every now and again. And that's what I want, you know. And it makes me proud that they're reading it and, they, and they'll get a sample for what I was like and maybe they can understand, you know, he loves his football, he's at Chelsea Academy, he's 12. You know, he's got to have that, you know, you've got to understand, you can't just train and do, if you want it, you've got to you know, go out and do the extra bits. It's not for me to keep pushing, you've got to do it yourself. Do you think all of this hard work that you put into the game was a result in part of you trying to square away what you felt as being this amazing privilege, you know, had you had these amazing chances, and you mm. just you didn't want people to feel as though you were, you know, a nepotist who's just yeah. in there because yeah. your well, dad is a manager and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because Frank and I were talking about this in the book, and, and obviously nepotism would be something that, you know, like as an example, Frank did it in a different way to me, but he, he was at West Ham. Obviously, he gets accused because of maybe his uncle and his his dad's the dad's the coach, uncle's the manager. So maybe he's getting his leg up because of that. And I think that's what I sort of realised very early that I can I was stay at Bournemouth for a while just to get my name and I'm off and I'm going somewhere where there's absolutely no um there's no connection. No connection yeah, between Liverpool no. and Bournemouth. Liverpool and my yeah. dad. It was like me on my own making this or not. And I think that's why when Frank went to Chelsea, rival team and look what look at how he what he achieved, you know, hundred odd claps for England. So I think both of us in our mind 
realise that to because it's that's an un, you know it's an un, it's an unkind thing to say about someone, and I just think if they did say it was pure jealousy, you know, because we what I saw you know, Frank how hard he worked to be a footballer, and we spent hours together, we'd analyse each other's games, and you know, it's five years difference between us, but there was a you know we had that common theme. You know, but again, he had a mum that was so kind and caring, a bit like myself. So he had a tough dad, and you know the kindness of a mum. And I think that's what we were very lucky to have. But like you said earlier on about being night, yeah, we are. But there's also a toughness to my family. You know, the toughness they grew up in the East End of London. My nan and you know, I've done a I've done a DNA show lately, and I've learned a lot about my family. And they were tough, and they had it really tough. And I think that makes me even more appreciative and proud of what my dad's achieved and what I've achieved. All right, thanks for talking us through it well, and uh, and you. for sharing it with everybody um i really enjoyed it yeah i really enjoyed it too it's a really lovely read and also you and i were talking about this earlier jamie as well i my i was born in barking hospital my my sort of yeah. family a few generations back aware of your family from as well went to the same sort of caravan site when i was yeah, younger as well so it's actually a really nice nostalgic read <laughs> as well yeah. just just for that era in general it, it really gave me a lot of memories of my own childhood and that that was nice. what that was what I really liked about the focus being on such a specific time of life and it was just a really really pleasant feel good read one thing we did think actually is about the way that you've gone into work on the book as well is actually probably much more involved than many other footballers. It did seem as though you were much more involved in the process with Tom than sometimes people tend to be. So perhaps that's yeah. a symptom as well of you trying to make the best. Yeah, I suppose so. But I, that, again, I'd like to take credit for it, but it'd be unfair because Tom <laughs> really pushed me to do it. You know, he was great. That was, was another just, thing. Yeah. In the, in, when we spoke to him, he said, oh, you know, Jamie, he won't say... He was so modest, he won't no, let really, us say nice no, things about him. But I, yeah, he is great. I, but I'm pleased, I, I'm pleased I've done it. I'm, I'm really happy. I, you know, my agent was really sort of, you should do it. It'd be great for people to... And I'm like, oh, they're good, you know really and yeah but it's been fun and I, and I thank you for having me on and I hope people enjoy it and yeah it's great thanks Jamie so Jamie's book Me, Family and the Making of a Footballer by Jamie Redknapp is published by Headline it's out now in time for Christmas guys um, if you want to pick it up then do go to uh, well we recommend hive.co.uk because that gives a bit of money to a local bookshop near you if you want to get it delivered to your house um, and if you've got a suggestion for what you want us to read next tweet us at KVL Mason at Jim Campbell TFR or at Football Ramble and don't forget to subscribe to Football Ramble Presents wherever you get your pods so you never miss an episode of Book Club or other Ramble faves like On the Continent look after yourselves and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Book Club This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network <laughs>